open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I'd like you to join me right there from verse 13. 13 through 16, we're going to use that as our, our bigger picture, and yet we're going to focus on one side of it in verse number 14 and 15, or 14 technically. But let's start here. Galatians 5, 13 through 16. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Heavenly Father, we started our service acknowledging our dependence upon you. Well, we need you. And certainly we do at this moment when we go to study your word. For these things are not our interpretation, they are yours. The application is yours that you place upon us. May we be uh, willing recipients not only to hear and receive, but also to do what you call us to do. Even in that, we are dependent upon you. So we start even our time right now with that acknowledgement. We need you. Pray that your work in and through our lives, that you will uh, perform your great work. You have a desire today, and you will see it through. And I pray, Lord, that your name is glorified for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. In our study of the internal battlefield, we come to the right side of the fork today. Last week we were on the left side. We were using that illustration to understand the contrast between walking by the flesh and walking by the Holy Spirit. The picture of a fork in the road is what I use, which helps us understand the choice of two different directions. The reality is that you can't take both. You can't be on both roads. It's not possible. If you choose the left, you cannot be on the right. If you choose the right, you will not be on the left. That's the nature of it. And I know even the illustration itself is a bit less than perfect. Uh, We have yet to come up with perfect illustrations, but that's not too bad when we put this concept down. It helps us understand our key verse, which is verse 16, where it says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So there are two ways here. One is by the Spirit that we should walk, and the other is the desire of the flesh that wants you to carry something out. Now, I characterized uh, the walk of the flesh last week. Uh, a turn down to the left when you get to the fork. And I just use that as my concept just to help us grasp it. The flesh is characterized by self. Its goal is to magnify and glorify self. Its method is to use one's own way, one's own wisdom, one's own power, one's own will to accomplish 
that which gives self the glory. That's the flesh. More times than not, it's also sinful. As we're learning this, self is in opposition to God. That's what the text is showing us here as we will work it through and come to a full understanding of how serious this matter is. Uh, the self does not seek him. It does not depend upon him. It attempts to live apart from him. Reality, folks, self is not your friend. The text says it bites, it devours, and it consumes. It's like living in a bowl with piranhas. That's what the self does. Along with this information that we learned last week on this topic, maybe you were made aware more so of this concept of this left fork and how it illustrates the self. And, and maybe you had troubles this past week even turning left in your car. Saying, I don't know if I should even turn left here. I'll just keep going right until I get to the right place. I don't know, but I'm sure that it's something that has been pressed upon your mind. And sometimes illustrations kind of stick that way. And we're, we're more conscious of what we're doing and, and realizing that left is a bad thing to do. But today I want to look at the right side of the fork. The right side of the fork. It is in contrast to the flesh. It is in contrast to the appetite of self. Realize this, when you read verse number 13, right there in the middle, or rather closer to the end, there is a word used for contrast. It is the word but. And as Paul wrote this out, he says, for you were called a freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But, there's our contrast, but, through love, serve one another. Very appropriate that uh, we have a communion service today. There are folks who listen to us on the website, so they can't see what's in front of us. We have our are set up here for the communion service. And when we have a communion Sunday, which is the, whenever there's five Sundays in a month, it's that last Sunday. So it will usually run about four times a year. I desire that the sermon would, would reflect upon the meaning of this service, this communion service, and recall what Jesus has done for us. And service is a perfect title for it. A perfect title for it. For in the act of breaking the bread and of passing the cup, Jesus served his disciples on the night he was betrayed. But even greater than that, we would say that the act of giving his body to be broken for us and giving his blood to be spilt for us, he served us that day as well, didn't he? When he was crucified. The text says, through love serve one another. And we have the epitome of all illustrations of that when we speak of Christ and what he has done for us and what we will remember. So service is interesting because service and self are not on the same road. Have you ever noticed that? Self says, what do I get? Service says, what can I give? There's a difference. 
That's why the contrast is in this passage where he talks about don't choose your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but there comes the contrast. Through love, serve one another. And to add to that information, he goes on to explain it in verse 14. For, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You ever hear that before? Of course you have. Matter of fact, it's all over the pages of Scripture. That phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It appears all over the page. A good example of this would be when Jesus was preaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He hadn't gone very far into that sermon in chapter 5, verse 43, where he says, and you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You say, well, where did it say that? Well, it did say you shall love your neighbor. Guess what they inserted? And hate your enemy. That's the part he said, you heard that said. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Easy to do? No. Matter of fact, this is where we realize that service through love can be very painful at times. And in case you wonder how painful can that get, Christ dies on a cross to show it. That's painful. But that's a good display of loving your enemies. Even praying for those who persecute you. Was not his words on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then in Matthew chapter 19, later on in his ministry, this is what he says in verse 16 to verse number 20. I'm just going to read you a passage here. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what one good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? Oh boy, they like it simple, don't they? Just give me one. That's all I want. Just one thing. And I, I had to check that. And that's literally the Greek there. What one thing can I do? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. This is how he said. He responded. He said to him, Which ones? Don't you love that remark? Obey the traffic laws. Which ones? Do we get options? Like if we do 75% of them, is that better? That's well, better than 60%. But nevertheless, I love his little question there. It's, it just always makes me chuckle. Which ones? Which ones? God said thou shall. Which one should I obey? That's what he said. So Jesus answered, says, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You say, wait, that's not in the Ten Commandments. Love your neighbor as your... Well, it is a commandment from God. It is a commandment from God. And the young man said to him, well, I've kept all those things, now what? That's a remarkable response. So in Matthew 22, another man comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? He wants the great one, of course. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
That is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Then a lawyer stands up at another time. And he puts him to the test. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? So he turns it back on the man and says, what does it say to you? And the man responded and said, the man said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Was he right? Oh, yes. And so he said to him, you've answered correctly, Jesus says, do this and you will live. But, oh, there's a terrible word in the conversation. But, the man wanted to justify himself. You know why? Because he wasn't doing that. And he still wanted the eternal life, but he didn't want the responsibility, apparently. So he says to Jesus, well, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, and he starts to describe a man who's coming from Jericho, and he's attacked and he's beaten. You know the story? It's called the Good Samaritan. You know that's in the book of Matthew. That's uh, in the book of Luke. It's recorded for us in Scripture. And you say, okay, Jesus kept saying the same thing when they'd ask these questions. And then you get to Romans, chapter 13, which we did last summer. And what did you find in chapter 13 of Romans? Verse number 9 and 10. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Then James, when he wrote his book, chapter 2, verse number 8, However, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. I find it interesting that uh, the way the uh, committee who worked on the New American Standard Bible had in their mind that if they were going to quote an Old Testament scripture in the New Testament, they're going to put the whole quotation in capital letters. I like that, because every time I see that on the page, which I do right here in this verse number 14, you shall love your neighbors as yourself, all capital letters across there, that says, that's Old Testament scripture being quoted. And that's always the trigger for me to say, huh, that's important, so I have to go looking for it when I see that. You'll find it, folks. All the times you read about it in the New Testament, you'll find it recorded in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You shall surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You say, how does that work? Well, my, my terrible paraphrase is this. If your neighbor barks too much, and if it bothers you, Talk to your neighbor, don't shoot the dog. Right? Does that sound simple? For those who heard my dogs last night, don't shoot the dogs. Right? Just talk to the neighbor. Now it goes on to say this in the next verse. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's what God said. So, he made it a command, didn't he? It's a command. He repeated that command over 
and over and over and over, and then we ask why? Why must it be repeated? Multiple choice time. Do you like these? Here you go. Because he delights in seeing a squirm. That's letter A. Letter B, because he likes your neighbor better than he likes you. C, because he said so. D, because loving your neighbor best reflects the kind of love God has for us. You like D. I like D too. I think C might fit in there a little bit nicely too, because he said so. It is a command, is it not? He said, at the very end of that command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Those words aren't with it. I find it interesting, and all of you no doubt have seen this, that the picture by uh, Leonardo da Vinci of the Last Supper. You picture that in your mind right now? You've seen it before? Whether a, a, a picture or a, a sculpture of some kind. There, there's all kinds of different ways it's been depicted. But there at the Last Supper, you, you visualize Christ sitting at the table. You see them all sitting on the same side of the table. That was for the cameraman, no doubt, that he had to be on that side. But they're all on the same side of the table, and they're all eating. And, and Jesus looks like he's, up, he, he's, he's just tired, or he's, he's, he's just not. He's, the rest of them are active and busy and talking, and he's just sitting there like this the whole time, uh, in the picture. And there, all the other ones, they're, they're communicating, conversing. Some are pointing. Some are, look like they're justifying themselves and explaining themselves. And, and there's all kinds of activity going on. And I find that interesting as I look at that little picture. The immense conflict that took place in that upper room. I, I don't think we would have found this to be like a regular church fellowship dinner. Jesus had been in Bethany just before he came to Jerusalem for that last week. And while he was at Bethany, he was staying at the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And Mary had broken open a, a bottle of very costly perfume. And she went and she poured that on his feet and started to wipe his feet with her hair. Judas is sitting there quite upset because he thought that, you know, the cost of that perfume, we, we could have sold that. We could have had money to give to the poor. But all the while, John records for us that that was not his intention at all. He had a habit of reaching into the money bag and helping himself to it. He was a thief. Jesus knew that. As Martha pour, as Mary pours this out on his feet. You know what I find almost comical? Almost comical. But that's recorded in John chapter 12. And right toward the end of that, while they're talking about Jesus there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the Jews are all the way across in Jerusalem plotting to kill Lazarus. Because he was brought back from the dead and he was pointing everyone to Christ. And I'm thinking, poor Lazarus. He's brought back to life and they want to kill him. I, I just, another part that makes me laugh a little bit. 
They're plotting his death. Did Jesus know that as he's talking to Lazarus? He knew what the Jews were plotting. Add that to the stress factor here. In the next couple of days, the chief priests had nothing else on their mind but to put Jesus to death. All week long, that's what their, their hope was, to find a chance. And they finally found one, recall, when Judas came to them and was willing to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Did Jesus know that? Yes. Now add to this picture that when they came to Capernaum, he was in this house, he was discussing with them. This was in Mark chapter 9 first. He was discussing with them. He says, what are you talking about? He's talking to his disciples. What were you talking about as we were traveling down the road? And they kept silent because they were having a discussion as to which one of them was the greatest. Now, brothers and sisters, when they're young, have that conversation, don't they? Which is the greatest? Would you expect that of disciples? But here is a picture that goes with this. This is classic. They enter into the upper room, right? They all have dirty feet. Who washed them? Jesus. Why? Because no one else would. And he bent down and he washed their feet. He said, I give you an example that you should do as I did to you. So they're sitting at the table now, and Luke records the record that Jesus then takes the bread, and he takes the, the cup, and he breaks it, and he shares it with his disciples. And here's what Luke says, right in the middle of it all. They began to discuss among themselves which one of them is going to do this thing. That's the betraying of Jesus, because he brought it up. And there also arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Right in the middle of the service. They were still debating who is the greatest. Let me ask you simply, real simple. Which fork were they on? Is it pretty obvious? They were on that left side. They were promoting self all the way through. Jesus was there showing them how to love through service. And so he said this in John 15. This is my commandment. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. What do we have here? We have a murder plot. We have a thief. We have someone who betrays him. They are arguing with one another. They have dirty feet and they can only think of themselves. And Jesus says, as I have loved you. Remarkable, isn't it? Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. They want to kill you. Love your enemies. They, one may be your neighbor. Love your neighbor. One may have dirty feet and think he better than you. Love one another, Scripture says. Why? Because he said so? Would that be sufficient for us? Because he said so? Because it's a commandment? Would we be content with just living it out because he said so? There's a real test of the heart, isn't it? But what else? He set the example for us. 
in remembrance of this table that we have before us, I bring this point. Greater love has no one than this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Do you realize that he would call you friend? You are my friend. When we talk about love in this passage of Galatians, we're talking about a horizontal thing. Loving our neighbor, loving our enemy, loving one another. That's horizontal. Every one of those commands I read to you this morning about stealing, committing adultery, uh, all those honoring your father and mother, they're all horizontal things, for there are actions toward other people. But what's fascinating in this picture is that these horizontal things actually do represent a vertical relationship we have. The vertical one is our love for God. Before the command was giving love your neighbor as yourself, it was first, love God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. Many times we just want to settle for the second half. Sounds so much easier, doesn't it? So John writes in his epistle. I want you to go here. There's several pages. But 1 John chapter 3, verse number 9. Let's start right there. I want you to see these words. 1 John 3, verse number 9. I'm going to read through verse number 11 to start. This is what he says. You see 1 John's way in the back. If you're in the Gospel of John, you're going to say, where is he reading from? 1 John 3, starting in verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is a message we heard from the beginning, that you should love one Another. Does it sound like he made a distinction between one path and another? Pretty clearly, wouldn't you say? This is how you tell the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. I say, boy, that's a serious contrast. What is the indicator that you're a child of God? You love your brother, you love one another. Then jump down to verse number 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Pretty clear? Try another one. Chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, same book. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 20. If somebody says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Do you see how a horizontal relationship can reflect your relationship with God? Don't think you could operate on one level without your love for God. That's just the reality. We must love God. And the one who loves God will do what he says. The one who loves God will love his brother, right? That's what the text is showing us all the way through. Do you find the verses hard? Yes. They're hard to do. I would also say sometimes they're very hard on the old conscience. Because you read those and no doubt, no doubt somebody's popped into your mind here. And you're thinking, huh, you know what? And the old conscience start to knock a little bit and say, you know, love your neighbor, love your brother, love one another. Those words keep getting repeated. So we stand here and look down the right fork. It's a characteristic in this path of the kind of love that Christ has for us. A love for a neighbor. A love for one another. That's the kind of path that the right side shows us. You look to the left and you see self. You look to the right and you see Savior. See the difference? I'm going to add E to our multiple choice here. Because loving your neighbor best reflects your love for God. I said before, because loving your neighbor reflects God's love for us. But here also, loving your neighbor reflects your love for God. See, loving others is your laboratory. Loving others is your gymnasium. Loving others is your practice field. The one more, loving others is your battlefield. Self loves self. But we are called to love others, and that's shown in service. To love, serve one another. Self will use its own strength. Self would use its own wisdom. Self will go its own will. And self seeks its own glory. But we are called to use strength, wisdom, and will to love the Lord. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, with all your mind. So often I know, when we reach this point in a message, our first excuse is, but, oh, that's always a terrible way to start, but that's what we do. But, I can't. I can't. It's asking too much of me. I don't have the strength to love that 
person. I don't have the will. Rarely do we say it. <laughs> That's inside, though. I don't have the will to love my neighbor. If you were to say those words to me, I would say, theologically, we're on the right path right now. Because this is what it comes down to. You can't. Theologically, you can't. When we start to understand that, we start to understand what it means to walk by the Spirit. Because He can through you. He possesses what you don't have. He possesses love. Isn't that what we need? Fruit of the Spirit is love. We lack joy. Guess who has it? He does. We lack peace. Guess who has it? He does. We lack patience. Guess who has it? He does. We lack kindness. Guess who has it? He does. We lack goodness. Can I say, guess who has it again? I'll do it a couple more times. We lack gentleness. Guess who has that? He does. We lack faithfulness. Guess who has that? He does. We lack self-control. Guess who has that? He does. In case you're wondering, where did I get that? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of the self. Not the fruit of you. Not the fruit of me. The fruit of the Spirit is that love that we're called to have. When we start to say, I can't, you're in the right ballpark. Because it's not you. It's not you. It's Him. And it's Him working through you. See, to obey God in your own self, is the first step to that left fork of the flesh. To say, I'm going to do what He calls me to do. And instead of depending upon Him, we use our wisdom to try to figure out how to love Him. We use our strength to figure out how we're going to love Him. We use our will and our way to figure out how to love Him. And that's still dependent on self. That's the first step down the wrong road. But when we realize that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God has called us to do, that's the first step on that right fork, folks. That's the first step of walking with Him is to say, I need you. I need you. For when I say I can't, I have to remember He can. That's my dependence. That's what I'm called to do. And maybe at this point you're saying, but, you know, Pastor, my, my past record is so bad in this department. I don't think there's any hope for me. Let, let's remember something real simple. What took place the day that Jesus took this bread, that Jesus took this cup, and then he laid down his life for you. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Don't. Don't minimize the forgiveness of our God. It releases us from our past sins. Do you believe it? Absolutely so. It encourages us with the victory that Christ has given to us when He purchased us for Himself. It's a victory, is it not? 
We walk in newness of life, Scripture says. Don't we? Yes. And who indwells you now that you know Christ as Savior? Is it not the same Holy Spirit we're talking about? The one that we're told to walk with Him. This morning I see that we really don't have any more excuses, do we? When we're called to love our neighbor, that is not an option. That is the characteristic of the right fork. When we're told to love one another, that's not just a good suggestion. That's a characteristic of the right fork. We are called to love like that because we've been loved like that. We've been loved like that, haven't we been? So this morning as we go into our communion service, we remember that love that serves. That love of Christ. I know we're thankful people. (laughs) I know we are. But it's more than just a memorial. It's a calling for us to be like our Savior. It's a calling. For that we need to pray again, don't we? Heavenly Father, we come before you today overwhelmed again by your word. The things you say might sound simple in wording, but in actuality they are impossible without you. Bring us to that point to understand it again, we pray. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But through Christ, I can do all things. Lord, we have been so limited in our use of your love. We have squandered it. We have been selfish with it. We have converted it into things just to satisfy our own well-being, our own comforts, our own likes and preferences. But you have taught us love in a whole different way. You loved us while we were yet sinners. You loved us while we were yet your enemies. You loved us while we were yet helpless. There was nothing about us that was worthy of your love, but you loved us nonetheless. And we thank you for it. And as we remember what Christ did for us, even with our dirty feet, even with our desires to be first, even with our, our sins of, of theft and, and plottings and schemes, you loved us and you gave your life for us. We rejoice in that today. Thank you, Lord, for it. As we remember what you have done for us, we remember you. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.